1: you think marriage will solve your sexual temptation problems you are deceived (laughs) you are deceived and you can have the happiest marriage to the best looking person in the whole world at least to you all right that won't solve your sexual temptation problems mark my word and without this developed in my life without this maintained in my life i'm going down i'm going down even though i'm a happily married man Ignoring
0: sin, running from sin, and trying to fill your life so you don't have time to sin are all forms of denial. Other than Jesus, there's never been and never will be a perfect and sinless human. Every one of us falls short of the glory of God, and we miss the mark. Pastor Danny reminds us today that without the Word of God, your sin will continue to take control of your life. Only the truth that you're a sinner in need of a Savior can set you free. Be in the Word and run to Jesus Christ. He's got you. Now, here's Pastor Danny in the book of 2 Peter, chapter 1, for today's edition of the Living Word.
1: Saul and it says he was changed into a different person but if you continue to read the story he didn't keep in step with the spirit he became self-centered he set up a monument in his own honor and he did not grow as a matter of fact he went the wrong direction not the right direction and his life ended tragically he never grew because he never cooperated with what the spirit wanted to do in his life now, first, virtue, to add to my faith. No accident, this is the first one, is goodness. And the best definition of what that Greek word means is simply this. It is moral excellence. Moral excellence. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 says this. Since we have these promises... Dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Let me read you the context of that one verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and the verses that lead up to this verse, here they go. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I'll receive you. I'll be a father to you, and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, let us purify ourselves. Moral excellence. John chapter 8 tells the story of an encounter with Jesus and a woman caught in the act of adultery. And the Jewish leadership bring her to him and they do it to try to trap him. And he turns to all those who are, are there and he says, Okay, whoever's without sin, let him cast the first stone because they say the law says this woman should be stoned. What do you say? Okay, whoever's without sin, you cast the first stone. If you know the story, little by little, all those people walked away from the older ones to the younger ones because the older ones got more racked up, you know what I mean? Until it's just Jesus and this woman. I have no doubt she's weeping. Jesus says to her, Woman, where are your accusers? She wipes the tears away when she finally gets a little focus. It's nobody but her and Jesus. And here's what Jesus says. Where are your accusers? They're gone. Neither do I condemn you. Do not misunderstand that statement. He's not saying, ah, adultery, what's the big deal? (laughs) Neither do I condemn you. He didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. He came to pour out grace. He came to forgive. Neither do I condemn you. Now. Leave your life of sin. You want the grace that I have to offer? You want to know me and follow me? Leave that adulterous lifestyle. Purify your life. I have no doubt, no doubt in my mind, the woman, another woman Jesus met, John chapter 4, a Samaritan woman, by a well at high noon. She's surprised that a Jew would have any conversation with her. He asked her for a drink. And then he says, if you knew who it was who asked you for the drink, you'd ask him for a drink and the water he would give you would be a, well, springing up to eternal life. And she says, oh, give me this water. He says, well, first go call your husband and then come back. She says, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right in saying you don't have a husband. You've had five and the one you're living with is not your husband. I have no doubt I'm going to meet this woman in heaven. The Bible doesn't tell me that. But I have every conviction that this Samaritan woman, she goes back to her town and she goes and begins to say, I met a man that told me everything I ever did. <laughs> I met a man who knows everything about me and he knows I've been looking for love in all the wrong places. And it says the whole town came out to hear him and they believed not just because of her testimony, but because of listening to him themselves. I believe I'm going to meet that woman and I have every conviction assurance, that once she became a follower of Jesus Christ, she cleaned up that living situation, she purified her life. I have no idea what it was that opened the door for a woman named Mary Magdalene to be possessed by seven demons. But she met Jesus one day and Jesus set her free. He became her deliverer. And I'll guarantee you Mary Magdalene made some decisions that wouldn't allow that open door again for Satan to rob her and enslave her like he had for who knows how long. First stop, on the way into the promised land for the children of Israel, the Old Testament tells us the story was Jericho. And remember? The spies go into Jericho, and they are housed while they're there by a woman named Rahab. She's a prostitute. She's a prostitute. But she hears about this God of Israel. She comes to believe in this God of Israel. She puts her faith in the God of Israel, and she is saved, literally, physically, from the judgment that comes upon the people of Jericho. And you better believe when she left Jericho and she left not just geographically Jericho, she left the lifestyle. She left it and she became part of the family of God. She would end up marrying a prince in Israel and she would, if you read the New Testament record and the genealogy of Jesus Christ, she becomes the great, great grandmother of King David. And through her line comes Jesus the Christ. Oh, no. Rahab, she added to her faith. In the God of Israel, she added moral excellence. She cleaned up her life. If you don't get this one, you'll never go any further. This is it. This, hey, you'll never go any further without this one. Before we go to the next one, and I spent a lot of time on this one, but think it's necessary. The Passover is an amazing feast that God established. And the New Testament Passover is uh, our communion service as believers whenever we come and take the bread and the cup. But the Passover meal instituted, they would slay the Passover lamb, they would apply the blood, and then they would have a meal. They would eat of the meat and partake. And it's so interesting because they would slay the Passover lamb and apply the blood at twilight in the evening. And immediately thereafter would begin the next day. The next day in the Jewish calendar would be 6 p.m. that evening. So you slay the Passover lamb, apply the blood, have the communal meal, and then immediately you entered into a second feast that was inseparable from the Passover feast. As a matter of fact, they're two. They're looked at as one. It's the feast of unleavened bread. And because now you've been delivered from Egypt, the world, and because you've applied the blood of the lamb to your life, the very natural next thing is you spend a whole week and all you do is look for leaven in your house. And leaven in the Bible represents sin. All you do is begin to get the leaven out of your life. That's moral excellence. Clean up your life. Since I became a Christian, there's certain movies I will not watch. Since I became a Christian, there's certain books I will not read. There's certain magazines I will not take part in. Just won't do it. Won't do it. Sometimes places I'll avoid going because I know if I go there, it eh, won't be good. The second is knowledge. The word means a seeking to know, and it especially has to do with seeking for spiritual truth. Peter writes in 1 Peter, and he says, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. He's talking about the word of God. Crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Romans 12 says we're not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Just verse after verse, Psalm 119, David wrote, verse 11, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Jesus, when tempted there in the wilderness by the devil, we have three recorded temptations, but there were more than that. But the three mentioned are because it was lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. Those are the ones recorded because every sin falls under one of those categories. Every sin. And how did Jesus get victory over the devil there in the temptation in the wilderness? Over the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Every time he said, it is written, it is written, it is written, Some of us have heard this, have heard this, have heard this, have heard this. But if you've heard it and haven't applied it, hear it one more time. There's no way I'll grow, there's no way you'll grow in the Christian life apart from the word of God. And if all the word of God you're getting is one Sunday a week from a big mouth like me, there is no way you're growing the way God intends you to grow. Won't happen, can't happen. Give us this day our daily bread. Every day has enough evil. I need the word tomorrow. Tomorrow and I need it early. Early. Now, let me say very quickly, for babies, babies, and some people have, you know, you got saved 10 years ago, but you're still a baby because you haven't applied some of these things, you haven't grown. So whether you just got saved or whether you were saved 10 years ago, babies need to be fed. Uh, When I first started reading the Bible as a new Christian, I wasn't real successful. I didn't get a lot out of it. I'd read and I'd go, I just don't get that. I don't get it. All right, But what I did have is I had people teaching and preaching to me pretty much on a daily basis. Pretty much on a daily basis. And with the technology we have, listen, let me remind you. If you receive from me, then listen to my big mouth tomorrow. Get a podcast or get a CD or whatever. But whoever it is you receive from and make sure they're teaching truth, they're teaching the Bible. Every day. Put that bottle in, man. Put that bottle in. We need it every day. You'll never grow without it. Number three, to add to my faith, is self-control. Now, this is one of the mysterious ones because Galatians 5.23, this is not the only one, but it's interesting because it mentions it as a fruit of the Spirit. So that's something heaven does. That's something that the Spirit does. But at the same time, I have something that I'm responsible for. So it's a work of God, work of the Spirit, but it takes my cooperation. One of the passages that just hit me square in between the eyes not long after I became a Christian was 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 3. Let me just read it for you. It's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. That was a real challenge in my life. Still can be a challenge today. And I'm a happily married man. Happily married man. That each of you should learn to control his body. That's what hit me. Learn to control his body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the heathen who don't know God. And I knew right away I needed to do this. I needed to learn to control my body. And so I began looking away from the low skirt or the low blouse. I began looking away from billboards or et cetera, et cetera. I began practicing self-control in the area of sexual temptation. I'm a happily married man at 56. I still have to do that every day. Let me just throw a word of encouragement, uh, exhortation. If you think marriage will solve your sexual temptation problems, you are deceived. (laughs) You are deceived. You can have the happiest marriage to the best-looking person in the whole world, at least to you. All right? That won't solve your sexual temptation problems. Mark my word. And without this developed in my life, without this maintained in my life, I'm going down. I'm going down. Even though I'm a happily married man. First Corinthians chapter nine, Paul says, therefore, I don't run like a man running aimlessly. I don't fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself would not become a castaway. It's a daily discipline. Now, each one of these could be a whole message in themselves. I think the scripture is clear and listen, the Christian life, we ought to develop and maintain self-control, but not just in the area of sexual temptation in every area, in our eating habits. I used to love, and I still do, but I was, I don't know if it's too strong of a word, I might have been addicted to ice cream. I used to eat ice cream every single night, every night, every night. Years ago, when it was a practice to do it every night, I don't know what happened that day. I, I had a rough day, and I came home to our first little apartment, Pepper Tree Village, and uh, my wife's there, and I'm, it, it's later at night, and I'm on the couch, and I lean over, and she's over in the kitchen or somewhere, and she comes around. And she sees me with my head in my hands like this, you know, and she's like, oh, no, what in the world's wrong with him? And then she heard me say, with my head in my hands like this, she heard me say, I just need some ice cream. It's even funnier when she tells it, the story. You know what I did? You know what I did years ago when when I realized that? You know what I did? I began as a practice of self-discipline, as a part of my Christian life, I began to say no to dessert. And I'm still doing that today. And you will rarely, you will rarely, now I don't have a vow that I won't eat dessert until I get to the kingdom, you know. (laughs) Hey, that's crazy, you know. (laughs) Who would do that? Don't do that, by the way. (laughs) That's a foolish (laughs) vow. But but look, you will rarely see me eat dessert. And some people think it's because I don't like dessert. That's not true. That's not true. Banana pudding is the one that's hard to get away from. I love potato chips. I can sit down and eat a whole bag of potato chips. Whole bag, big bag. I mean, I could do the commercial, you can't eat just one. (laughs) That's true. Friday my third son asked his mother if Saturday morning before he goes off to do some ministry, if she would prepare one of the, his tasty breakfasts that he loves so much. The, we only have occasionally, thank God. I'd Be dead if we had this every day. Um, bacon gravy and biscuits. And so the next morning, here I'm having my devotions and all of a sudden I smell it. And the bacon's going, What? A, that's a wonderful smell too, isn't it? It's just a wonderful, it goes through the whole house and you're like, oh man, that's better than, oh, that's better than incense and I was a hippie, <laughs> you know, if you <laughs> I mean. <laughs> so Yesterday morning, it's still fresh in my mind, I can smell it, and she gets the biscuits and they're so warm and soft and we get the bacon gravy and I, I will just confess, listen, I'm right with God again, but I had three helpings, <laughs> three helpings. But that's a stumble, that's an exception. I try to practice, and we should practice self control in every area of life. Because without it, listen, before we move on, uh, this is a proverb that stuck with me for years. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self control. If you don't have this, you get the picture here, you get the message, you have no defense. There's no defense. Without it, developing it and maintaining it, fruit of the Spirit. But it's something I have to do daily. Develop it, maintain it. Now, the next virtue is perseverance. This is where the road turns in a good direction. This, if I'll continue to keep moral excellence as a part of my Christian walk, if I'll continue to saturate my life with the Word of God, If I'll continue to develop and maintain self-control, and I do that over the long haul, I persevere in it, I'll mature. Now, listen to me. Maturity, let me give you this verse. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Here's the great advantage of maturity. Maturity doesn't mean temptation goes away. Maturity doesn't mean I don't continue to maintain those other things, the first three things we talked about. But maturity means I don't fail nearly like I did when I was a baby. I don't scream all the time. You don't have to change my diaper all the time. I don't wear diapers anymore. Hallelujah. (laughs) I don't wear diapers anymore. And I don't, you will never see me sucking on a bottle. You'll never see me sucking on a bottle. And you'll never see me eating Gerber. I like steak. I like flamingon. I like it medium, on the grill, marinated, bacon wrapped. We got to get out of here. You'll become mature. Now here's the deal, look, persevering means I'll, I'll mature and then, then, this gets naturally added to my life. People that know you, they look and they go, you are not the same person you were five years ago. You are, you're a godly person. You're a godly person. And then I think it's interesting, this one is added, added near the end of the list. I don't think that's an accident. This naturally goes with godliness too, brotherly kindness. I'm telling you, it takes years sometimes. It took me years. Thank God I lived long enough that I I really believe, and I've had people confirm it. You know, in this message I said, you know, I, I really believe I'm much more kind now than I was five years ago. And a lady that's been a part of the church for years and years and years came up and she said, you know, you're exactly right. You're much more kind than you were five years ago. I thought for a minute, and then I said, Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. But I really believe that's true, and I've had people confirm it but but it takes years. It takes years. And then you get to the pinnacle. This is ultimate godliness, love. I did a little message that for our all staff meeting, once a month on Thursday morning, we get all of our staff together. I don't usually share anything there. I don't usually teach there. But if God gives me something, I'll bring it. Early Thursday morning, God gave me something, and I felt like he wanted me to share. The thing that ended up being the climax of what I shared was the Apostle Paul. And you look from the beginning of his Christian walk and some of his later writings, and you notice as you read his writings as you became an older Christian, that he's a different man. He's a different man. He grew. He grew. And this was the pinnacle that you can witness. And I'm not going to go back through all the verses I shared, but I'll just read you one that kind of says it all. When he closes 2 Timothy in that little letter, he says in verse 14, Alexander the metalworker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. This is an unbeliever that did Paul a bunch of harm. And he says, I ain't going to get an attitude about it. And I ain't going to lash out at him. The Lord will take care of him. Two verses later, here's what he says. At my first defense, as he stands before the court, he's a prisoner. At my first defense, no one came to my support. He's talking about believers here, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. You see, that's Jesus. This is the kind of love. This is the kind of love that loves somebody whether they love you back or not. You can love a wife that doesn't love you with this kind of love you can love a husband that doesn't love you with this kind of love you can love a father in law a mother in law you can love you can love people that are very unlovely with this kind of love and what a great benefit to see this this is the pinnacle of maturity in the christian life
0: We're so thankful you tuned in for today's edition of The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. As we continue to learn from the book of 2 Peter together, we pray that this study challenges you to live a life more like Christ. Peter walked with Jesus for three years, and he had the opportunity to see firsthand what it means to live like Jesus. Aren't you glad we have his writings to help us grow in our faith? If you'd like to hear more teachings like this from Pastor Danny or hear today's message again, head on over to our website, ccfstpete.church. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to be notified when we post anything new. And if you're ever in or near the St. Petersburg area, we would love to meet you. At Calvary Chapel Fellowship, the church behind this ministry, we meet on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and again on Sundays at 9 or 11 a.m. It's an incredible time of worship and Bible study. You can find directions and more by going to our website. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. If you're unable to join us in person, we also offer a live stream of our weekend services. Just visit our website and click on the link in the menu. Pastor Danny has more to share from this series, so we hope you'll tune in again next time. We're glad to know that you're a part of our listening audience, and we're praying for you. We hope that you'll continue to tune in as we learn more from 2 Peter right here on The Living Word.